0: following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. I had no idea that song had so many verses. <laughs> um, I also, uh, having not known they existed, didn't know how encouraging they were, especially there at the end. Um, this is the time where life cranks to a whole new level and it's more important now than ever to, um, stop and consider why, uh, life is the way it is right now, um, to consider what it is that the Lord has done. Um, and I hate this season. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I don't, I don't like the pace of life this time of year. I don't like clamoring over getting more stuff after being thankful for all that we've been given. Um, and, uh, I don't like having, uh, sermon series interrupted either with, so I don't let them get interrupted. So we're not going to talk about Christmas anymore right now. We're going back to Second Peter this morning, and we're uh, we're going to look at the whole of chapter 2, um, two, Second Peter two, and that's on page one o one eight in the pew Bibles. And I know that a whole chapter is a is a big bite when when studying like we do here or like we have been doing. Um, but in chapter 2, Peter is dealing with only one topic, and so uh, rather than beat that drum over the next six weeks, well, you know, we're going to deal with it um, all at once because it all really works together. Um, so let's start with prayer and, and then get to work. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, now that your Spirit would speak. We know these are your words, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring them um, alive to us so that we might be changed as a result, a little bit wiser, a little bit more ready for what's out there. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would be glorified in your church this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get into the text of 2 Peter 2, let's uh, deal a little bit with the context. I just want to go over a couple of things that Peter has reminded us of before we jump into the deep end of chapter 2. Uh, So we have to remember, first of all, Peter's original audience. Who Who? The man Peter was writing to, inspired by the Holy Spirit, who was he writing to originally? And Ben says that they're exiles. You're right. Um, he was writing to predominantly Jewish Christians. Um, the, uh, he wrote in first Peter, the elect exiles of the dispersion. So these are Jewish Christians that are not living in Jerusalem. In fact, they're, um, they're living in what is now northern Turkey. Uh, and the fact that Peter's audience were already believers in Jesus is really important because it makes some of the things that Peter says make more sense. If he was writing to unbelievers or just any random person, it, um, some of the things wouldn't make as much sense. Um, so the fact that they are predominantly Jewish Christians also makes a big difference, that that's where their upbringing was in um in the, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, they were familiar with those things. Um, and especially when we come to our text today, uh, that's really important. Um, because of the references to the Old Testament here in chapter 2, um, Jewish Christians would be very well acquainted with. Now, we have the Old Testament, so we have that opportunity now as well. Um, but uh, so lucky us. All right. So and that's, that's really the important point of the context as we look at this text today, understanding, um, that these are Jewish Christians. Because Peter references several Old Testament accounts that were common knowledge to Jewish believers. They were raised, um, learning these things, these accounts. Um, and this is important because it, it should keep us from getting lost in the weeds. Um, I think that will become clear when we read the text. Because uh, there's some stuff that taking out of this context without this understanding, we start to get really lost and um, start making up doctrines that aren't that aren't intended at all. Um, we also need to remember, as far as the context go, what Peter has already said, his statements that the lord's divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. To his own glory and goodness. And so to further flesh out that idea, Peter says that we are, um, that we have God's great and very precious promises. Uh, and we have the testimony of the apostles and the eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus, as well as the words of the prophets, uh, recorded in the Old Testament. And this is, this is now all compiled into one handy book, um, that you can own yourself uh, called the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. I was really tempted to have a table out here and bring all the Bibles that I own and just lay them out there to say, uh, look, uh, we have to have it better than any generation in history um, because not only can you own a copy of the Bible right here in New Hampshire in in any translation that you want or almost any language you can think of, and then you can you can fold it up neatly and put it in your pocket, uh, and then clickety clickety you can have it all. This morning, uh, in preparation for Eva r- reading, um, I, I went online and printed out Isaiah nine uh, from BlueLetterBible.com. Check it out; it's great. Um, lots of re- resources there. So knowing that we have everything we need to live as Christians and everything we need to know is recorded here in Scripture, we can be armed with that understanding. We can turn to chapter 2 and be a little bit more prepared for what's coming. So let's look at it together. We're going to read all of Second Peter chapter 2. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, Blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the, true proverb has, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. May God's blessing be on his word. So, yikes, I guess, is the... The first thing that Peter points out is that false teachers have always been around, and that is not about to change. The Bible is full of accounts of false prophets and false teachers, and church history is full of examples. Bookstores are full of examples. The Internet is a never-ending well of bad examples a never-ending source of false teaching. The church has been under constant attack. Believers face a constant barrage of falsehood. And the sad fact is that millions of people believe it. Peter points out, that false prophets and teachers have always been around and they always will be. And as sad as that fact is, Peter points out an abiding truth, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. We can be encouraged by that. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, there's some weeds we can't get lost in, right? Whoa. What does it mean to tartarize someone? That, that's the word there. We're not going to talk about it. If God did not spare the angels, fact, he did not spare the angels uh, that sinned when they sinned. Um, if he did not spare the ancient world, pre- but preserved Noah, a herald of righteous, righteousness with seven others, When he brought upon the flood of the ungodly, right? The decorations for every nursery. Why would you do that? Why would why would you decorate your nursery? Noah and the judgment on the world. I always wonder. I'm not going to talk about it. I have to. I always wonder why are when you see all those pictures. Where are all the dead bodies stuck in the trees? Because there was a lot of dead people after that. Gross. Don't decorate your nursery that way. You shouldn't have heard that from me. I'm sorry. Right? If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction. I've been to the, the site of Gomorrah. Biblical Gomorrah. There's nothing there. I have in uh, in my office um, brimstone, melted rock. That's what's there. That's all that's left. It's a flat plain covered with melted stone. Okay? God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And he rescued, if he rescued righteous Lot, right? that's capital L, not a lot of people, one person named Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds, That he saw and heard? Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Peter points out God's track record when it comes to rescuing the godly and punishing wickedness. He knows how to do it, and he will continue to do it. I got a little nervous uh, about dealing with the the idea of fallen angels angels here in this text, right? Tartarizing. That's the word. I don't. I wasn't supposed to talk about the uh, being being uh, cast them into hell. That's the word is Tartarus. Uh, and see, weeds. Um, I got nervous about who those who those angels were, where they are. What that means, is it gloomy darkness? Is it really chains? Is it pits? There's lots of discussion about Greek, but that's not what Peter's point was. Peter references this as an established fact that God cast out Satan and his angels. Fact. He knows how to do it. They rebelled. God cast them out. Satan was cast out of heaven and the angels that followed him after were as well. God is capable Peter's point was not to deal with how and when and why that happened and how many there were and where are they now, but simply points out the established fact that God knows how to deal with wickedness. He cast angels out of heaven. He destroyed the wicked in the flood while rescuing Noah and his family. He destroyed the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to make them an example of what will happen to the ungodly. But he rescued Lot. Remember, Lot's wife didn't make it. The Lord told them, don't look back. Run and don't look back. And Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And we can continue to trust him to do it. That's good news. That's our encouragement there. Not so encouraging if you're unrighteous, I guess. But for those who are believers, that's why it's important to remember who Peter was writing to. Writing to believers. So we can be encouraged by that if we have faith in Jesus Christ. The other important point that Peter makes is how to recognize false teachers. We can trust the Lord to rescue the godly from trials we also have to be equipped to recognize false teachers and false teaching to ensure that we stay in the group that Peter calls the godly. That's where we want to be, right? And we need to be careful because there are lots of people who don't care about that and they just want you to follow after them and send them money, just 1995, and you can have your... Miracle on TV or whatever. There's all kinds of people like that. Peter says in verse one, false prophets who also arose among the people in the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation is from long ago, is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So, the words heresy and heretics—they're kind of part of our vocabulary, right? I mean, this morning's not the first time you've ever heard those words, maybe. Uh, But what do they really mean? Um, Well, heresy is simply false teaching. Um, Teaching that does not agree with the truth of God's word. And a heretic is someone who teaches or follows false teaching. Right? Easy. Um, And destructive heresies... That Peter references here are false teachings that lead people away from trusting Jesus as their savior. Leading people away from trusting in Christ alone. For salvation, for forgiveness of sin. We talk about sometimes the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, Don't we? No, we don't. We do. You just maybe don't know it that way. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. Destructive heresies are things that point us away from that, from those things that we're, while mankind is basically good, And if you want to, you know, be a little better, then I guess you can add religion. Right? That's destructive heresy. Okay? All dogs go to heaven. It's heresy. I don't know what happens to dogs. The Bible doesn't say what happens to dogs when they die. I'm pretty sure they're dead. What happens after that, I don't know. There are so many things that we take for granted They're just normal and part of our culture that are heresy. And we don't think anything about it because we don't know any different. That's a problem. That's why Peter brings this up. What we must do is train ourselves to recognize falsehood. And Peter gives us several indicators, big indicators of what to look out for. In verse 1, Peter says that some false teachers will deny the master who bought them. Now, who is that? It's Jesus, right? Sunday school answer. The master is Jesus, and he bought us with his own blood on the cross. Clearly denying Jesus and the price he paid for our sin, that is an indicator of a false teacher. If there's any other way to be saved... If they tell you that there is some other way for you to gain entrance into God's eternal kingdom, to gain entrance into heaven. If there's some other way other than faith in Jesus, that's heresy. And it is destructive because when you believe it, you don't need faith in Jesus, right? Because all I have to do is be a nice person and I get in. If that's what you believe, judgment day is going to be a bad day for you, right? That's destructive heresy because it leads to your destruction. Some false teachers profess to follow Christ, but deny him in their teaching and in their living. Verses 10 through 19 give a summary of the telltale signs of false teachers And there are three big ones, three telltale signs, pride, lust, and greed. Look at verse 10. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. That's angels. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Friends, we could go on all day with this. Maybe even name some names. false teachers. That's not what I'm here to do. I said a couple of weeks ago uh, um, while in Home Depot, the cashier told me about how their store had been victim of counterfeiting. People have been trying to pass counterfeit $100 bills. But the only way to really tell a counterfeit is to know the genuine article and know it well. Not study the counterfeits, but to study the genuine article. That's what we're here to do. I don't want to be like so, Reverend So and So. Look out! This speaker, this author, this whatever. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Not in this context. Um, it would be much more valuable, I believe, uh, to understand that the secret to recognizing falsehood is a knowledge of the truth. So that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to practice. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by which he has granted to us his very great and precious promises, So that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. We have the promises of God. We have the testimony of eyewitnesses. We have the words of the prophets. This is the truth. And where can we find all of that truth? It's right here. Right here in our Bibles. That's it. That's what we need. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. And it's here. There's all kinds of teachers. There's all kinds of preachers out there. The the world is full of them. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. But if we don't know the truth ourselves... We can so easily be led astray because we don't recognize the falsehood when it comes. Because it's never not usually blatant. It's very subtle at first and sneaks in and seems reasonable. And then it just shifts another degree and another degree and another degree. And before you know it, you're lost. We need to make sure that we know what the truth really is. As a woodworker, geometry is really important to me. Angles, right? What zero degrees is, what 90 degrees is, what 45 degrees is. You know what I'm talking about, right? As a builder, there's a really big difference between 90 degrees and 91 degrees. Maybe not when it's only this long, but when it's this long, when you're building a picture frame, if you're 45, is actually 46 and three quarters. Your box doesn't go together square, right? Me and Brian, we're, like, nobody else has any idea what I'm talking about. It only takes a degree. And when your line is short, you can't even see it. But when your line is long, it's obvious. The things are out of square. We have to be careful when the lines are short to make sure that we are on, right? We have to know God's word for ourselves. You can't count on me, okay? I can't be it for you. If this is your only foray into God's word Sunday morning, you're in trouble, Because you're counting on two things that are going to get you in trouble. Number one, you're counting on me because right around in my pocket for a day. you, You probably stopped listening. right? And number two, you're counting on only being fed from the word once a week. That's not good. That's not good. We're only going to be able to recognize falsehood when we are well acquainted with the truth. And the truth is right here in our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible at home, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Take it. We got more. I would rather have to refill every Bible holder in this building than to have you go home without one. right? Mm-hmm. There's an app. There's apps for that, too. right? YouVersion is a great app. It'll even read the Bible to you, um, which is great if you drive a lot um, or can't read. Um it'll read it'll read to you. Okay. False teachers will tell you that the Bible is too old and it can't be trusted. It was applicable to them then. Look, the Bible says women have to cover their heads. Really? Who wants to do that? The Bible says there's people they had to dash babies on the rocks. Who wants any part of that? Well, if that's all you get from the Bible. You're missing, number one, a lot of context and the entire point. Right? False teachers will tell you that the Bible cannot be trusted. It's written too long ago to be relevant. It doesn't apply. It can't possibly be applicable to today's culture. It was written by men, and men are fallible, right? And they're prone to weakness. They couldn't possibly have gotten it right. People have just made it up. And it's changed and it's full of inconsistencies. And uh, um, uh, that word, you know, contradictions, contradictions, right? Anybody ever tell you that? Can't believe the Bible. It's full of contradictions. You can respond with two words. Show me. Show me. Show me the contradiction. I'll happily wait while you flip through the pages. You're not going to find one, right? False. False teachers want to undermine our trust for God's word. But we know that every word is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and is useful for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. We know that. This is God's word. False teachers want to promise liberty. They want to promise freedom. You have to follow those old rules. But they deliver only bondage to sin bondage to selfishness and to pride and to lust and to greed. They promise more than the word of God, as if all that we have been given by God is not enough, that all that is available to us through faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. Friends, this world has nothing to offer that is better than life in Jesus Christ. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have God's word, the source of absolute truth. So get to know your Bibles. It's our one sermon point for today. Get to know your Bible. By getting to know your Bible, you get to know the one who wrote it. Get to know your Bible and you'll get to recognize falsehood. It'll stick out like a sore thumb to you. Get to know your Bible, and with God's help, you'll be able to discern between truth and error. What's our sermon point? Get to know your Bible. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're so thankful that you have preserved it throughout the ages. And included in it everything we need for life and godliness. That we can learn about who you are, what you have done, who Jesus is, what he did for us. Father, we ask for your help to get to know our Bibles. We, we ask for your help to dust them off, to open them up, to read your words, to listen to your voice. Through your word, you have spoken to us. May we never take that for granted. Keep us hungry for your word. Keep us hungry to grow in the truth so that we will be protected from error and falsehood. We're so grateful for all that you've done for us, Lord. And we're so thankful for our Savior Jesus who willingly gave his life on the cross that we could be forgiven, that our sins could be washed away, We could be adopted as your children. And we know that because the Bible tells us so. And we're so thankful. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipie, New Hampshire, 03890.